0: What is the point of suffering? There's injustice in this world, and suffering sometimes, we might even say oftentimes, comes when we haven't done anything wrong. So, what is the point of unjust suffering? And this morning, we're going to, Lord willing, finish the book of Job and answer the question, what is the point of the book of Job? What is the point of suffering when, like Job, you've done nothing wrong? Now, just briefly, as we began our series in Job, we saw that there was this uh, contest that Satan had. uh, And the Lord said to Satan, See my servant Job, who is just and upright in all the land. And Satan believed that Job was a gold digger. And so God allowed him... Because Job was righteous To attack Job and take away all of his possessions And then to take away all of his health Except for his very life And then began uh, many chapters of Job's friends coming along And questioning why suffering And and guys had their, their answers as to why they were suffering And Job must have sinned And there must have been something going on there That he's just not revealing And Job is insisting upon his innocence. And then uh, we saw finally the Lord appeared upon the scene in a whirlwind, and he spoke to Job, and he told Job that he cared for his creation. And if he cares for his creation, he cares for Job. And then he also spoke to Job about his power to bring justice. And uh, if he had the power to bring justice, he could deliver Job out of his unjust suffering. So Job reasoned that since the Lord loves him and despite having the power to do so allows him to suffer, then there must be a purpose in his suffering that Job is unaware of. And so Job trusts the God of the Bible and the God of his circumstances. Now we come to the final chapter of the book of Job, and we're going to be starting in verse seven in verse seven returns us to narrative. All the debates and the laments that Job and his friends had were all poetic Hebrew Hebrew poetry. So we've had a number of chapters of that. But when we we have the beginning, which is a narrative, so the the author of the book of Job is introducing the book to us, telling us the behind the scenes. That Job and his friends are unaware of. And then now we have the final recap after the Lord's appeared to Job and he's going to explain to us what the Lord is up to. So if you have in your translation there uh, a change in formatting, it's because it's now not Hebrew poetry. Now it's returned to narrative format. And so when we look at narrative, we look at things a little differently. Hebrew Poetry, we look for repetition and contrasts and, and stanzas and different things like that when we're trying to understand what's going on. Narrative, much more simpler. We look at grammars and we try to see what is going on there and what is God up to. And that's what the author of the book of Job is getting at in this portion of the book. What is the Lord up to in this narrative? So we're going to take our outline from the actions of the Lord. In verses 9, 10, and 12, where we see that the Lord accepts Job's intercession, turning unjust suffering into redemption. And then the Lord restores Job in verse 10, exalting Job to his previous status. And then we see that the Lord blesses Job in verse 12, Job and his children. So first... Yahweh, the Lord, in all capital letters, he accepts Job's intercession, turning unjust suffering into redemption. And I I said we would look at uh, what the Lord is up to. And in verse seven, it says the Lord said. So there's going to be a call here for repentance made to Job's friends. Let's look in verse seven and through uh, verse nine. It says, After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. The Lord calls Job's three friends to repentance and faith through Job's intercession as a priest. What was their problem? Well, their problem was God's wrath for suppressing the truth about him. Twice, he says in this passage, you have not spoken of me what is right. The words we use reveal what we truly believe about God. And in Ephesians four, twenty nine and thirty we read this Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Our words reveal our hearts and our thoughts. And so we are admonished to not have corrupting talk, not have talk that tears others down but rather to have edifying talk, which is good for building up, as fits the occasion, to give grace to those who hear. So Eliphaz and Zophar and uh, Bildad have misrepresented God, and that has brought God's anger upon them. But I want you to note the servant's success. Job has spoken right of God, and we're told twice. That he has done so, even though the others haven't, even though he is in the midst of tremendous unjust suffering that he is unaware of any purpose for, he has not spoken wrongly of the Lord. Notice also that salvation is offered. There's a salvation solution here offered to Job's friends, the suffering servant's priestly intercession in verse eight. And then in verse nine, we see that solution accepted by faith. They don't argue with God about it. They take an offering to Job and they ask Job to pray on their behalf. And Job does. And the Lord accepts their Job's prayer. So here we see the turning of the Lord's wrath away from sinners through the offering and intercessory prayer of his suffering servant. So first of all, the Lord accepts Job's intercession, but then he restores Job, exalting him to his previous status. Look at verse 10 and 11 says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. Here we see that Job is restored to a place of honor. And he is restored to fellowship with those who have, who had rejected him in his suffering. We're called back to Job 19. Verses 13 through 22, where we see that all of Job's family and friends had rejected him in the moment of his suffering. Job 19, verse 13 says, he has put my brothers far from me and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I've become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? In his suffering, Job was abandoned by everyone who knew him. Here we see the Lord restoring to Job all of his brothers and sisters and those who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house. He is restoring Job to a place of honor and restoring his relationships with those who forsook him in his time of suffering. Then note in verse 12 how The Lord blesses Job and his children. Look at verses 12 through 17. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys, all doubling the number that he had at the beginning of the book. He had also seven sons and three daughters. Now, how many did he have at the beginning of the book? Ten kids, seven and three, right? So he didn't. He didn't double his kids, or did he? He did. I think this is an indication to us that Job's children were believers and that those children who died at the hands of Satan are awaiting their father in heaven. So he has seven sons and three daughters. And and then what I think is pretty neat, the seven sons in this passage, they're just good for propagating the name. They don't get names. They just propagate the name. The ladies are given names, and we're we're told about them. They're important, which is unusual in ancient uh, literature. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karenhapa. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years. And what were the sons good for? Well, he saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. Job died, an old man, and full of days. Here we have Job's possessions, including his children, doubled. And we have an unusual inheritance. He includes his daughters in his inheritance. An unusual thing in the ancient times. And then we see his enduring legacy in verses 16 and 17. You see, serving the Lord with your life, even in suffering, is rewarding. And in the final narrative of Job, we see the Lord's turning of his servants unjust suffering for his name's sake into redemption through the intercession and exaltation of his suffering servant. And when I began with you this study in the book of Job, we began by I stated something similar to this. I want to introduce you to a man unlike any man upon the earth in his day, a man whom the Lord declared was blameless and upright. This man was tempted by Satan to renounce his loyalty to the Lord. He was scrutinized for sin by the supposedly friendly religious leaders of his day. This man faced unjust suffering because of his loyalty to the Lord. Yet after his humiliation, the Lord exalted him to a position of priest. The Lord accepting offerings through this man for the sin of others and granting his request for forgiveness on behalf of those who sinned against him. And beyond that, the Lord abundantly blessed this man who then granted an inheritance to those normally excluded, making his daughters joint heirs with his sons. I want to introduce you to a man named Job. And so we looked together at the book of Job to see how the Lord turned unjust suffering into redemption as he delights in exalting his servants who suffer unjustly for his name's sake. Now, what the Lord did typologically through Job, he has fulfilled in Jesus. What do I mean by typologically? Job is a type of the suffering servant, Jesus. And sometimes we hear the word shadows or foreshadowing in uh, the Bible. And so we see that Job is foreshadowing Jesus. He is a shadow that connects us to Jesus, just like you can see my shadow up here on the wall a little bit. If you follow that shadow, you finally find me. So Job, then, is a shadow, but when you look and you find the substance, you find Jesus Christ. So what happened to Job in type is going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So then let me turn my introduction just a little bit. I want to introduce you to a man unlike any other man upon the earth in his day. A man whom the Lord declared was his son with whom he was well pleased. A prophet to whom we should take heed. This man was tempted by Satan to renounce his loyalty to the Lord. He was scrutinized for sin by the supposedly friendly religious leaders of his day. This man faced unjust suffering because of his loyalty to the Lord. Yet after his humiliation, the Lord exalted him to a position above all spiritual and earthly authorities. The Lord accepting this priestly king's offering of himself as a propitiation and granting his request for forgiveness on behalf of those who had sinned against him. And beyond that, the Lord abundantly blessed Jesus, who then granted an inheritance to those normally excluded, making the Gentiles joint heirs with the Jews. I want to introduce you to a man named Jesus. Let us look and see how the Lord turned the unjust suffering of Jesus into redemption as he delighted in exalting the one who suffered unjustly for God's namesake. First, the Father accepts Christ's propitiary offering. The problem is wrath for suppressing the truth. Just like Job's friends, we have not spoken correctly about God. We have not imaged him as we talked about last week. Romans 1 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth as God's image bearers. When people look at us, they should see God, how God is. But we've all misrepresented God and that has brought his wrath upon us. But note the servant's success at bearing God's image. In Matthew 7, 15, uh, 17, verse 5, we see on the Mount of Transfiguration, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud. Now, let me ask you this. Where is the Lord speaking from in the in the book of Job? From the whirlwind, right? We picked that up from the previous chapters. He's speaking from the whirlwind, from the appearance of his glory, which we find here on the Mount of Transfiguration. So a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Why? Because he is speaking right about me. He is imaging me. Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfect life that none of us have. He represented God well. And so then God offers a salvation solution to us who have misimaged God the suffering servant's priestly intercession for us. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, we talked last week about that word propitiation. It is an offering that satisfies God's wrath. And for Jesus, it's an offering that satisfies God's wrath against our sin. And so God's wrath is diverted to Jesus Christ when we place our faith in Jesus as our offering for sin and as our Lord and Savior. And God saves us. And this morning, through His Word, God is offering to you this same salvation. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, don't don't stay under God's wrath. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior by faith. That's the solution that we see that can be accepted by faith in Romans three twenty three through 25. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace. We are declared righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. The sacrifice for your sin has been made. Would you place your faith in Christ as your sin sacrifice? Repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord because He's not still in the grave. He is resurrected and been set above all authorities. He is the authority of your life or He should be. So repent of your sin and follow Christ with your life. Here we see the turning of the Lord's wrath away from sinners through the offering and intercessory prayer of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. But as I said, God did not leave Jesus in the grave. He resurrected him. He restored Jesus to a place of honor. Romans 1, 4 tells us that Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. He was God in the flesh, Philippians two, five through 10, which we read this morning as our scripture reading, it causes us to try to have the same mind or to think that we should have the same mind as Jesus Christ, which is an amazing, humble servant type mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Hey, what identifies you? For, for a lot of us, what we do identifies us. I'm a pastor, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a construction worker, or I do this, or I'm, I'm really good at softball. I'm identified by something, and we hang on to that. Jesus Christ, his identity was God, but he didn't grasp onto that because a lot of times people like to grasp to titles. We like that honor that comes with them. Jesus Christ didn't, though he was in the form of God, did not think equality with God, a thing to be grasped, to be held onto. Well, then what did he do? Verse seven, he emptied himself by taking the form of what? A servant. What is God referred to Job as throughout that whole book? My servant. My servant Job. My servant Job. He took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God not only offers salvation through Jesus Christ, but he offers it only through Jesus Christ. You can't earn your salvation. You can't buy your salvation. The only thing you can do is trust, through faith, God's provision of salvation. He is the only way. And I urge you this morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, make today the day. He restored Jesus to a place of honor, but then he also restored fellowship with those who had rejected him in his suffering. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark 14, 50, When they arrested Jesus, it says, and they all left him and fled, Peter denied him. One disciple, we're told, had a loincloth on, I think we believe it is Mark, and he was running away, and they grabbed him, and he said, you know what, I don't need to hold on to this, And and then he ran out of the garden naked and ashamed, similar to the Genesis story With Adam and Eve When they arrested Jesus And they were about to bring him To his greatest point of suffering No one stood with him But after his resurrection Fellowship was restored Luke 24 verses 36-47 through They're talking about Jesus' appearance To the people on the road to Emmaus And then all of a sudden Jesus himself stood among them And said to them Peace to you But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why does doubt arise in your hearts? He says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved, for joy they were marveling. It's like... This is amazing, if true. And so finally, to prove it, he eats. He says, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And can I say that part of the poetic portion of the Bible is Job? So that when Joe, when Jesus sat down and read Job, there was a day when he read that and he said, wait, this is me. This is talking about me. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. All repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. It doesn't matter if you're from the United States, from Mexico, from Canada, from Europe, from Russia, the Ukraine, Iran. It doesn't matter what people group you're associated with. All nations have this offer made to them. Repent and trust Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, as the payment for your sins. So we see the father restored Jesus, exalting him and restoring his relationship with those who forsook him in his suffering. But then we also see the father blessing Jesus and his children. His possessions, including his children, were doubled in Job 42, verses 12 and 13. I think this speaks to the Jews and the Gentiles. Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8 says this, I will tell the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. For those of you who were in Sunday school, what is that referring to? What does Paul say that refers to in the book of Acts? The resurrection, right? So in Psalm two, we're reading about the resurrection. And then God says to the one who is his son, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Hey, Jesus, just ask. You want some Jews? You want some folks from Texas? Okay, they're yours. They are your heritage. They're what you will inherit. So Jews and Gentiles, I believe, is what is pictured in Job. Then we see that unusual inheritance. And I think that speaks about the inclusion of the Gentiles. We, We have these three daughters who receive an inheritance and we're told that they're beautiful. And it's not that their value is found in their beauty, but what do we see? Coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned in Revelation. We see the beauty of God's people. They're dressed in the righteousness of the saints. God is in the business of turning us wicked sinners into beautiful people who reflect the image of Christ. We are included in this great inheritance, Ephesians 3, 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Galatians 3, 26 through 29, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith for as many of. You, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Romans eight sixteen and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ Wow Part of my inheritance I get Jesus And what Jesus has I get I mean he owns everything right Wow But then there's this statement Provided we suffer with him In order that we may also be glorified with him What's that Wait a minute You mean to tell me, Pastor, that once I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, it's not all rainbows and lollipops? No, beloved. No. We will have an enduring legacy, as Job had and as Jesus had, because serving the Lord with your life, even in suffering, is rewarding, but it's suffering through suffering that we enter the promised land. Because I want you to see the Father's continued work with Jesus' children. The Lord is going to use unjust suffering in your life to bring others redemption in Christ. Let me say that again. The Lord will use unjust suffering in your life to bring others redemption in Christ. Remember how I told you that Job was that foreshadowing, that type of Jesus, that pointed forward to Jesus Christ You are little Christ's Or what we call Christians And when you suffer unjustly We remind people of Jesus Christ Job's suffering pointed us forward To the suffering servant Our suffering points back To the suffering servant Look to 1 Peter chapter 2 We'll finish there in 1 Peter First Peter, chapter two, verse 18 through 25. And it's interesting that this this comes out in the passage directed at servants in the Old Testament, serving their masters. Because again, what does what does God call Job? My servant. Jesus Christ is the suffering servant. He's the fulfillment. Right. Well, now here we have servants in the New Testament who are Christians. It says in verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the what unjust. God turns unjust suffering into redemption. That's the theme we have in Job. Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, like Job did. For God's sake, he suffered unjustly. And so did Jesus. And so will you. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? If you deserve it, you deserve it. That's what he's saying. But, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been, what? Called. You've been called to be an image bearer of Jesus Christ. So that when you suffer unjustly, it points people to Jesus. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And if that's not enough in chapter three for first Peter, first Peter three fourteen, he now is opening up to Christians in general. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the what? Who's that? Us. That He might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Suffer unjustly. Honor Christ as holy. And when people go what is wrong with you? Why don't you act? Why aren't you angry? Why aren't you cussing them out? What's your problem? Why, why are you so happy? How can you have a smile on your face in this difficult time? What's going on in your life? How can you manage this? Jesus, ready to give an answer. Point them to Jesus. Because God delights in exalting His servants who suffer unjustly, For his name's sake He did it with Jesus He did it with Job He can do it in your life as well As Job predicted Christ So should our unjust suffering Remind people of Christ So now this morning If you're here And you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior Repent of your sins And live to righteousness Through faith in Jesus Christ you have no hope Except for Repenting of your sin and trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Die to yourself and follow Him with your life. And He's worth it. Follow Him. Take up your cross and follow Him because suffering comes with following Christ. Your friends will forsake you. Perhaps even your parents will forsake you. But Jesus said, whoever does not love me more than mother and father is not worthy of me. In other words, He... He becomes your life. You live for Him. He is the center. And he is worthy. Why? I don't know about you, but He died for my sins. So He has authority over my life. He gets to tell me what's right and what's wrong. He gets to tell me where to go and what to do. And I serve Him. So serve Christ with your life. Now, Christians... Some of you may suffer unjust treatment by your family, by your employer, by your friends, your neighbors. God can use your unjust suffering to point others to Christ. Sometimes it can be lonely as a Christian. Everyone forsook Christ in his suffering, just like they did Job. Remember to serve God and honor him as holy. And point others to Jesus in your suffering. Because God loves you And he cares for you But he has a purpose in your suffering You may not understand it now You may not understand it until the resurrection But he's got a purpose In your unjust treatment Health problems that are not directly Related to sin God uses You pickle your liver on alcohol That's on you okay? But if you get cancer That's not necessarily your fault right? We, we studied this in Joel How is that just relationship problems, not directly related to sin, ungodly spouses or spouses who claim Christ, but act ungodly problems with your children, problems with your brothers and sisters, not directly related to sin. You're following Christ. There's no sin in your life that you know of. You can be treated unjustly by people who you felt loved you. God will use your unjust suffering to point others to Jesus. You do right and trust the consequences and your circumstances to the Lord. He is the one working. So what's the point of the book of Job? Well, injustice exists in this fallen world. Righteous people will encounter unjust suffering. But yet we know that God loves us and he has the power to change our situation. So if our situation doesn't change, then we must trust that he has a plan. He has a purpose. We, like Job, need to live wisely by fearing God and turning away from evil, even in the midst of suffering. So what's the point of the book of Job? God will turn our unjust suffering into redemption. And one day we will be reckoned. We will be resurrected to unfathomable glory For God delights in exalting His servants Who suffer unjustly for His name's sake Let's pray Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the book of Job That points us forward to Jesus In whom we rejoice in our salvation Father, I pray that You will draw people to Yourself this morning Humble the proud, strengthen the weak, raise those who are spiritually dead. The old song says it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Some of our beloved members are suffering here, even now. Father, I pray that you will be with them and strengthen them. Help them to keep their faith and to honor Christ as holy and to give a gentle answer when asked for the hope that lies within them. And, Father, may we who are not going through difficult times and not going through suffering, may we be a blessing to be gentle and kind and encouraging to those who are suffering injustice. And, Father, do what we can to help and correct it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.